0: What do you want to do, go work out? I'm saying, do you want to go out with me or what? No. No? No. Wait a minute. Maestro, buff, are you kidding me? No. Well, let me tell you something. Zip your lip. I've almost been caught once, and I mean zip it. This has never happened. shape because of bullshit
1: like this. Do it, do it, do it. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. Uh, I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Now, Nate, how are you holding up? Last week, we had to review a three-hour Nitro. Thankfully, we are back to the normal two. How are you holding up after that?
0: I'm I'm, I'm doing as well as could be expected, brother man. Uh, I, I had to take some R&R after that that uh marathon edition of Nitro and then I uh, just kind of had to kick back take some of these uh, futuristic alcoholic drinks up here on the satellite of hate but I'm I'm ready I'm ready to get back on the on the horse if as it were and uh talk about some Nitro this week
1: and thankfully it's not going to be just us we're being joined by a fellow test subject here he is a Buddy of mine, also a former WWE employee as well, and currently a reporter for Pro Wrestling Sheet. He is James McKenna. James, how are we doing here? I want to call back for when you mentioned
2: that Nitro was only two hours this week, because I was sure it was three. No, this was a two-hour show. No, that was a three-hour. It felt like a three-hour show. show.
1: That was a two-hour show. How did that
2: happen? No.
1: (laughs) It felt like a 3 hour show. Also, let's call out fellow WWE Fiery. Fiery, yes. Both of us left, not of our own accord. Not of our, <laughs>
2: escorted out of the tower. I was not yes. – I wasn't
1: escorted. <laughs> oh. I was allowed to leave.
2: Uh, oh, no. I like I don't mean like by security. I just oh. mean like someone's like letting you leave
1: like, hey, just to make sure you don't turn around and try taking things. But it, but here's the difference between us. I just didn't really get along with, with Brian Gowartz. Yeah. Do you want to say why you – what you did?
2: <laughs> um – I may or may not have gotten fired for watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation in the boardroom. <laughs> 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 I, I have, I am anything. I'm just a creature of my own being. And uh, <laughs> listen, there are some natural impulses, and if you give me a TV. And no one around. I will watch National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation during the holidays. No, you
1: took some pretty good photos that I are did. no longer online and I won't describe them. Oh, no, <laughs> they will
2: be online eventually. Oh, they'll be back up again. They'll be back
1: up. Okay.
2: My ties to them are quickly dwindling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so James is here and Jay- if you follow James on Twitter, which is at Chill Hartman, Uh, You know that he is a masterclass troll, I would say, in his own (laughs) regard. So I'm glad we have him here in person and he can subject that towards WCW. Yeah, verbally
2: I can turn my hatred towards
1: WCW. What was your relationship like with WCW at this point in 2000? Were you still watching? I can't necessarily say I was. Were you a WCW fan though before?
2: I was a WCW fan more of when Goldberg had his whole like championship run right. and all that glorious time, mainly because it was that storyline that drew like non-fans in. Yeah. And then in watching this, it was funny just because I was like, why wasn't I a fan of Nitro during this time? And then watching it today, I was like, well, that probably explains
1: a lot. That's the thing that's so weird is because what was so hot right now was doing things people had never seen before. This was the time period for that. And NWO had never been seen before. The whole – the way Goldberg was being pushed, the Austin thing. And then you have this show here uh, tonight that was just like Hogan doing the 1986 thing all over again. Yeah.
2: It – I don't know. It was real wacky where – you compare it to WWF during that time, and it was like, oh, the big guys are like The Rock and Kurt Angle, and like all these like real, mm-hmm. real big personalities. And then watching Nitro, like we just did, it was like, oh, here's Luger screaming about something, and Sid Vicious whispering <laughs> into a microphone.
1: Yeah, and it was a real, real weird time. No real evolution for any of the characters. No, no. But you were still, uh, you were still a wrestling fan at this time. You were oh, just entirely, yeah. Okay. It was mainly.
2: Just WWF stuff at that time. Right. And yeah. you
1: mentioned some of the characters that were hot and big on top in WWF. Let's talk about some of the stuff that was big in the world in 2000 at this time, just to give people that time capsule note was going on the day this happened. This episode of Nitro happened on February 21st, 2000. Now, Nate, last time we didn't really talk about the news of the world because nothing really happy was happening. Honestly, there was no real big news stories happening, Nate. Uh Black History Month was fairly uneventful in the year 2000. Apparently, so rather than talking about the news of the day, let's just jump to the number one song of the day. Are you cool with that, Nate?
0: I think so. Since uh, you know we are rounding rapidly approaching the end of Black History Month in in uh, 2000, or as uh, most woke people would say, Brian, African American History Month
1: is that is that the, the the preferred nomenclature?
0: No, that was that was a Mike Pence joke.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> Happy Abraham Lincoln Day to you, by the way. Uh, as, as well. In the world of music, uh, the number one song of the day, Nate, we've talked about it several times about how you could just make a song be number one by you. You could force a song into the number one spot, and I think that's exactly what happened hashtag with this song. Roman Reigns. <laughs> I, I think that's exactly what's happening here. As Nate, I think this is flat out probably the first terrible song we've heard as a number one single. And it is Thank God I Found You by Mariah Carey featuring Joe and 98 Degrees. Does this song come to mind for you? Do you remember this song?
0: I do, but it's certainly not in the top of the Mariah Carey canon. It, it is uh, not a song I remember fondly, despite having, you know, I, I'm indifferent to 98 Degrees, and I actually was kind of a fan of Joe for a little while. Uh, but yeah, this is not one of my more uh, memorable, one of the more memorable Mariah songs, in my opinion.
2: I mean, the song is trash. Yeah. Like, <laughs> calling it out... <laughs> I just remember
1: it as a bunch of great tastes that didn't go great together. they're, like, trying to force this thing into being a number one. They're like, ooh, how many cross-quadrant tastes can we get Well, it was
2: a time in American history where they were just like, oh, music is just taking ten people who have gotten number ones and putting them on the same song. (laughs) Right. I respect them for trying – like, they got Mariah Carey, 98 Degrees, and Joe in the same room, hopefully. I think, I think, I, I think for that alone, the song I songs think when they shot
0: right. the video, that was yeah, the one I'm time saying, they there were we go. together. I'm <laughs> um, looking at Mariah Carey's discography, and she really didn't come back until 05 with uh, The Emancipation of Mimi, Shake It Off, uh, We Belong Together. Oh, wait,
2: wait. So this is super weird. All right. Because I... In doing some digging on her personal life thing on Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah, Carrie was in a three-year relationship with singer Luis Miguel from 1998 to 2001.
0: So that's so he's the one we can blame for Charm Bracelet, yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and Glitter apparently to 2001. I think Glitter is <laughs> kind of based on there. No, glitter's based on that first relationship she had with the Tommy Matola? Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. We've dug deep into Glitter and <laughs> Mariah Carey. So let's go ahead and told you it. we were talking about Glitter. Let's dig deep <laughs> in to the year 2000 in WCW.
0: Super Broad 2000 sponsored by Snickers. This is what got him to the finals. The artist, formerly known as Prince Iakea, wins the WCW
2: Cruiserweight
1: Championship. So our show opens with a recap of everything that happened at Super Brawl, and I do mean everything. It was a lot. Uh, The artist became Cruiserweight Champion. Nobs went back the Hardcore title. Big Al lost his one and only professional wrestling match. Sting returned. James Brown appeared unadvertised. And Sid retained the world title with help from a returning Rowdy Roddy Piper.
2: Jarrett's playing backfired. Thanks to Rowdy Roddy Piper, Fit Vicious remains the WCW World Heavyweight Champion.
1: It should be noted that this was the final WCW appearance by Roddy Piper. This is always sad, Nate, when you and I... We hit a performer's final appearance, and we know that we will never see them again. So this is one and done for Roddy Piper. We can put him up on the list for us as well.
0: Yeah, and this is – I know we we, uh, have a policy that we don't review pay-per-views mainly because uh, we want to maintain what little bit of sanity we still have left up here. Uh, But I was actually intrigued with Super Brawl, so I I did check it out uh, independently uh, of this podcast. How much of it, though? Uh I, of course I hit James Brown cuz that that Game to me street. was the the highlight of the of the uh show. Uh had I, I checked out Sting of course and I checked out uh you know the artist formerly known as Prince IK I had to show him some love.
1: I think I fell asleep
0: to this pay-per-view
1: once or twice. <laughs> That's about as far as I'll say <laughs> I The would. only thing I re-watched, because I was
2: like, no, they couldn't have, mm-hmm. I need to watch it, was they made Brian Knobbs champion yep. post-2000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a singles champion.
1: And a singles championship. And this was him regaining a title. <laughs> yes. So, this leads to our show proper starting. A sign that the times are tough for the company, Jeff Jarrett and the Harris Brothers arrive not in a limousine, but in a Lincoln town car.
0: I've been screwed for the last time, boys. This crap- Welcome to Monday Night Troll. Before the night's over. And there's Jeff Jarrett and the Harris brothers.
2: My like, just knowing one of them had to sit alone in the back seat. <laughs> or maybe it was Jarrett driving the Harris Like I think it was it, the
1: Harris's in the front seat and Jared. Either in the back.
2: way, this configuration is real weird, <laughs> and I'm obsessed with it.
1: I think it was Harris in the front, Jarrett in the back, and his guitar was seat belted but how in how great to would
2: it have been if Jarrett was driving? <laughs>
0: oh. No, I think they I think you saw Jeff get out of the back oh. seat. Oh uh, I like, I like where you're going, though, because like, when, I, when I saw that, not only was I thinking of the configuration of the NWO guys, but I was like, huh, what if we take this a step further and have the Harris boys in the back, Jeff up front in the passenger side, and Matthew McConaughey driving? <laughs> it's like I, whenever I'm fun. out on the open road with a couple slap nuts, I just think, where am I going?
1: <laughs> so Jeff says that the gloves are off, and tonight they're going to show everyone what his NWO is all about. Going to the arena where Tony Shivani welcomes us to the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California. An arena which has changed names twice since the show. Mean Gene's already in the ring and he introduces the man who is a big hit at Super Brawl. However, the total package music plays and he comes out. Instead, Tony lets us know that this was supposed to be Hulk Hogan. The Fubu clad Luger continues his month long steroid confession by bragging about his physical attributes and by screaming, Super Bowl Saturday? I don't know! Luger calls Sting a stooge for Hogan and that he isn't done with the Hulkster. This brings out Hogan, who sells his broken arm by slapping his cast repeatedly.
0: I heard your list of complaints out here, and you're so worried about the big, monstrous Jimmy Hart busting you up. I made special preparations, brother. Why don't you just look above your head at the 18-foot-high steel cage, brother? So
2: this segment kind of points to one of my favorite tropes in wrestling, which is very – nothing nothing I love more than a guy coming out to say Luger comes out. He's talking to me, Gene. Hogan comes out and he's just like, oh, Luger, you want to fight if you look up? And like, oh, there's a cage. (laughs) And like no one noticed just a
1: cage hanging there. Like Hogan was able to call in a favor. Well, and that's (laughs) the other thing is that Hogan goes so far to say I – I made sure there was a cage here tonight. Versus if yeah. it had been like an authority figure had said, yeah. but Hogan saying like, "Yeah, I called up my guys and I got here a little early." Yeah, and I helped we them.
2: we suddenly put up this cage and no one has noticed it until this very point. <laughs>
1: oh God, how I love that! We then uh, go to the announcers' table where Shivani and Madden give us a little replay of the main event last night, and also the fact that Jeff Jarrett attacked Kevin Nash with a guitar on Thunder. With that, out comes Jeff Jarrett for back-to-back interview segments to start (laughs) the show. Jarrett says that he is the chosen one and he has been screwed for the last time. However, Double J has a signed document that says he gets a rematch against Sid Vicious. He even claims that Commissioner Nash signed it. Jeff doesn't say when that match will happen, but he does promise that he's going to turn the Harris boys loose tonight and promises to drop a lot of H-bombs. <laughs> so as bad as the Hogan segment was, this one, who, Jarrett was maybe a little bit better in terms of performance, but Nate, then it ends with him performing, hey guys, you're going to see a lot of the Harris boys tonight.
0: <laughs> I don't know what what uh, what I'm looking least forward to as we continue this run because um and on one hand you've got the harris boys getting so much tv time but on the other hand the guy that is giving us the commentary for this tv time is mark madden and something <laughs> that that i kind of realized midway through this episode is mark madden adds very little to this show i'll say he
1: was not as bad on this episode as he's been in the past i could be wrong maybe it's like stacy Keebler wasn't on the episode but right. there is never anything too sexually abusive from him
2: I mean, except for the fact when Oklahoma came out uh, we'll we'll get into that later on because I have some <laughs> comment it's when Priest, Prince Prince Ieaa comes in the ring and we have some I have some things to say about that one No, there's something <laughs> yeah. There, yeah um i I really love this segment um just because Jared claimed he has a contract that like stated if he left the cow Palace yeah, without a didn't, belt if he did he win gets another the belt, match. then
1: he gets he's like this this contract stipulated that if I didn't win the belt, I would get another shot and it's like you didn't need to throw in that if you didn't get the belt. Like, it isn't like if you won the belt, they were going to give you another title yeah. shot. That went without saying. So we then go outside where it is shown the limo budget has been diverted from the NWO back to WCW as world champ Sid pulls up outside.
0: Just after 5 o'clock in the afternoon at the Arco Arena, and world champion Sid Vicious has just arrived. And what does he have waiting for him inside?
1: Sid's a simple man, though, and as champ, he gets out of the vehicle and walks in the building. With No No title, no bags. (laughs) He has come to work woefully unprepared for the evening. Backstage, amateur pornographer Kidman is unable to find his kid cam. (laughs) Tori suggests that someone might have stolen it. Elsewhere, (laughs) Medusa is dressed in her Winter 2000 Finest, a pair of Tommy Hilfiger overalls and a red beanie. Medusa looks at the whiteboard of tonight's rundown and gets angry, as anyone would who saw that Luger and Hogan were main eventing the show. What, you think I get a thrill? Flying across, halfway across the United States and not even working? Why do they keep stifling my career? Instead, Medusa is angry that she isn't scheduled for a match tonight, which is an interesting complaint from someone who has not wrestled in over a month. <laughs> so Medusa breaks the whiteboard
0: in frustration. I want a woman's division! And I want it now. There, there are certain little touchstones in, in, in your mind that you don't know how they got there, but for some reason they're embedded there. And this promo with medusa for some reason i remember all these years later like it's a nothing promo and it's another one of these wcw workers are complaining about working in wcw which is getting is getting really annoying at this point but for whatever reason i don't know if it was the performance or the the whiteboard but this has stuck with me for 17 years
1: (laughs) What part of it? But specifically, it was just her being. What was What was interesting here was that she was angry that she wasn't getting to work in WCW, though. Yeah, like she's (laughs) like, I want to wrestle, which was a unique complaint for someone working in this company.
0: I think at this point too, there was a bunch of Medusa complaining promos. Whether it was the. Uh, objectification, which I can't really falter for. Uh, or like there was another one where me and Jean was just standing backstage and, and she's like, uh, what do I have to do to get, to get some opportunities around here? I'm gonna kick somebody's ass, Gene. And Jean's like, well, well, I don't know what to tell you, Medusa. And so it's, it's a running theme that, that, uh, that has stuck with me all these years later of the, the frustration of one, um, Medusa Maselli. Well,
2: like that's half the thing is she just picks up the whiteboard and starts screaming, I want a women's division and yes. destroying the whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> Where I was like, and not remembering anything before or after yep. with that character. I was like, "God damn, okay, I can agree with this. This, this is what you
1: did before you could launch a hashtag.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, you had to
1: just destroy uh, office equipment. So it is now time for our first match. We are 20 minutes into the show. And we finally are going to have some, uh, some in-ring action. Kidman versus Lash LaRue. Now, uh, these two send each other off the ropes to start with. Lash hits a shoulder block, followed by spinning uh, head scissors. Kidman slides underlash, followed by Hurricane Rana. I don't know why I'm telling you any of the moves in this match, because at just under 90 seconds, the match is abruptly interrupted by the Harris boys, who run out and destroy both of these smaller dudes. We're getting a taste of WCW 98 here in WCW please, 2000. That, please no, my note exactly
2: for this moment is, I hope DOA ruins every match. Well,
1: <laughs> they, they come close to it, including <laughs> they, the they matches they sure are try, in. Which I love. Uh, so, yeah, this was uh, this was one of those examples where uh, we're going to have the two big guys come out and ruin the two little guys. And especially- with some H-bombs. So with some H-bombs. And the reason why I think this is even more frustrating, Nate, is the fact that we just had Lash LaRue make it all the way to the finals and only lose because the artist cheated the night before. And Kidman, who just won, like, a month-long feud against Vampiro the night before— So it's the fact that it was these two guys, like there are so many other countless nobodies. I know you're fans of them, but I mean, fucking Linny and Lodi could have been out here for some like, you know, lame tag match, but no, it's Mm -hmm. two guys that were actually getting a push as soon as last night.
0: Yeah, that frustrated me because again, other than the Medusa promo, I've had forgotten everything about this episode. <laughs> so I'm sitting down. I'm like, oh, cool, we got uh, Kidman who's really good at this point, and we got my boy Lash, the Raging Cage, and like this, this could be a really fun match. Uh but no, like we have to ruin everything nice. And and so it's like, yeah, this could have easily been during some meaningless Brian Knobbs match or a Mama Luke's match. But when you are a company that right now. Okay, has... do you
1: realize that you just named two champions? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh and that's that's to to quote Hogan from the intro, that's why this company's in the damn shape it's in. Uh, but like I, I think when you've got a company in 2000 that is kind of trying to find its next crop of stars and and its next crop of really talented workers to not give these guys an opportunity to come out here and shine, it's it's headed you know. And the, the the same goal could have been accomplished with lesser workers.
2: I just, I fully agree. It's just watching that segment alone. I mean, it might be the current raw mentality mm-hmm. of just like. Oh, there was a match the night before. Well, obviously, we're going to get the same match tonight. Like, this, <laughs> legally, this has to happen. Yeah, And then being like, oh, I, I, I know Billy Kidman beat Vampiro. That's great. Okay, they're going to have another great match tonight. No, it's against Lash LaRue. And that is the oh. interesting
1: thing uh, that, you know, sort of whenever we watch these shows comparing it to the current sh- uh, Raw product, where their whole thing is they just have to kill three hours of television time. So oh, you get a lot of repetition. You get a lot of meaningless backstage segments. Whereas here, it's the whole car crash mentality where they actually don't spend enough time to hammer they things to, home
2: they have to kill what feels like three hours of television
1: right time. <laughs> so we then go backstage where the kit yes. cam the kit cam is capturing buff bagwell attempting to get with symphony the girlfriend of the maestro so
0: symphony what's up what's up with you and maestro
1: the maestro's my boyfriend
0: <laughs> but he's not buff and he's definitely not the stuff so is it me or is it Maestro?
1: Symphony blows him off, so Buff asks her to do him a favor and not mention this to the maestro because he's been caught before. (laughs) What a shitty home wrecker! So, Nate, here's the thing. Two big continuity issues with Buff Bagwell here. Yep, Um, yep. For starters, I thought we established that he wasn't trying to fuck Kimberly Page. So is he kind of Mm -hmm. admitting here that he was trying to fuck Kimberly Page? Secondly... (laughs) The last time we saw Buff Bagwell, he was the first person getting his arm broken by Lex Luger, and he just is never he never had the cast, never was falling up.
0: So yeah, two really big things there, and I guess, is he a heel or a baby? I, I was so lost. Yeah, I don't know, because like he's acting like a heel, but the maestro's a heel, so I don't know if this is some type of Raoul Tresvant, you need a man with sensitivity type ploy uh, to gain the affections of symphony, but yes, going back, that's the first thing I thought of, that DDP feud. It's like, wait a minute. Didn't you already get caught up in a situation where, where there were some things that might have been misconstrued and now you're back here, uh, back to your old tricks? So I was not a fan of that uh, aspect from one Mr. Marcus Buff Bagwell.
2: So first, I'm very happy that you called up Buff was wearing FUBU as well. Yeah. Because as soon as he came into frame, I was like, Buff rocking a FUBU
1: uh, football jersey as time. well. I know it's, it's very popular with everyone except for who it should be popular with. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is just people wearing No Limits stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which we'll get into. A, who was it, Cassius later? Uh, no, it was it was Big T. Oh, it was Big T. We definitely get into what Big T was wearing. Oh later. yes, Big oh, T okay. might as well have been walking around in a milk jug this week, mate. Uh,
2: so so good. Uh, yeah, no, I really there wasn't a lot of notes for that. Like especially not
1: remembering the maestro very well. Yeah. Well, do it. you remember who Symphony was? No, that's Ryan Shamrock. Oh, that's t- yeah. Oh. That's the thing. In in, in the year two thousand in wrestling, you could just get hired. Like if you got fired, yeah. you would get a job somewhere. Okay. Except okay. For the Meister. The Meister never them. worked anywhere else before and never <laughs> anywhere else afterwards. They,
2: I did some research. What is he? The grandson of Gorgeous George? Yes. Is that it? Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh yeah. Now, I I'm I'm excited for the next segment though. This is And that segment is our second match of the night. Vampiro versus Fit Finley. Vampiro makes his way out uh, for this match with Fit Finley as highlights of his Super Brawl match with Kidman plays. It should be noted that Kidman won that match, but you probably couldn't tell based on how (laughs) these two guys were booked the next evening. Fit comes out next, his arm also sporting a cast. Uh, We get an on-screen graphic for the latest WCW magazine. And Nate, did you notice what the cover of this month's
0: WCW magazine was? i did not I, so i'm intrigued what was the cover was it as good as that great nwo 2000 cover get this nate it was
1: that nwo 2000 cover <sighs> meaning that the much discussed infamous four play nwo cover with bret hart nash jared and steiner didn't come out until after wow. bret was out of the group Wow. now nate I think you also have some explaining to do here because you cited this cover as the reason why you liked the group, but now we're finding out that it didn't come out until afterwards. So I feel like you have some explaining to do, sir.
0: I mean, there's alternative facts, Brian. You know, <laughs> I, I thought I, I thought I saw something. I I do not recollect, but no. I, maybe retroactively after the fact, I've just seen the cover, which I thought had a cooler title because I thought it was like Back in Black or something like that. And it's some terrible double entendre Four. Uh, <laughs> so yeah I, I i don't know how my brain kind of uh maybe, maybe it's one of those uh self-preservation mechanisms that the brain does uh you know for people to have gone through trauma and wcw 2000 was a lot of trauma for a lot of people so uh yeah maybe, maybe that's why my brain switched the uh, order and, and i thought the magazine preceded the terrible version of the nwo
1: In the ring, Fit and Vampiro lock up, uh, which is an interesting first spot for a guy who has a broken arm. Uh, Vampiro chops Fit, and Finley rips his own shirt off and asks for more. These two then brawl outside, and Fit clubs Vamp with his cast. Finley drives a chair into Vampiro's throat. No DQ is called. On commentary, Tony lets us know that Hogan Luger will be a last-man-standing cage match, meaning the only way you can win is by escape, which is not what a last-man-standing match is. (laughs) It's just a cage match, guys. So Vampiro then hits a top-rope spin kick, but Finn fights back with a clothesline. Finley throws Vampiro into the corner and charges towards him, but Vamp moves out of the way and rolls up fit for the three. None of this matters, though, as Finley attacks Vampiro after the bell and lays him out with the tombstone pile driver. Second match of the night, second one where absolutely nothing was achieved, guys. I think everything was achieved. Uh, I
2: really. I loved it. So, first, and Nate, Brian, I don't know if you agree. I don't remember
1: Vampiro looking that much like a champ. Like, he came out and I was like, I. God damn, Vampiro, you look... No, that's the thing. If you only know, like, Lucha Underground Vampiro or even, like, XPW... Uh,
2: like, I re- is- I remembered old Vampiro, but, yeah. like,
1: I think so much of, like,
2: current state, like, JCW Vampiro yeah. has become ingrained. Or I forgot, like, wow, you you look like a really quality character. Um, was really obsessed with uh, Fit Finley walking out looking like Bubba Ray Dudley. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the exact same camo overall weird getup. Um... I, yeah, I do want to
1: focus on the last man standing cage match. I'm sorry. Like that. It's so such, such a distraction. this match. like How how did they come to the idea that that's what that it, – A, it's what the match should be called, which is not – it's not a last man standing match. And secondly, we'll get into what the match actually is. There was no payoff for calling in, it in that. In hearing – like we've
2: both been in a writer's room before. We yeah. hear how these people talk. Like how did not one person go and like raise their hand and be like, hey – out of curiosity, like you know, this is not the same. Like mm-hmm. just because you say last man standing, it's still just a regular
1: cage match. You're not doing yeah. anything different. No. When I was at WWE, uh, <laughs> at WWE, there was a book. There was, and there was oh, a, yeah. a part of the book. There was a list of every single stip match with an explanation of the steps, and also next to it was an explanation of when the last time the match was done, so you knew you weren't doing it too frequently. But here, they're flat out like that's just so frustrating. They're not even calling it the right thing, especially when at the very last pay-per-view, they had
0: a last man standing match legitimately between Buff Bagwell and DDP. Uh, see, you know, I, I love that you guys focused on that aspect of this segment because I was focused on a point that you brought up earlier, Brian Man, and that is the ineffectiveness of uh, the arm break gimmick. <laughs> yep. Like, everybody that's had their arm broken, whether you're talking about Finley, whether you're talking about Hogan, Brian Knobbs got his arm broke and sold it poorly, and I think he was back the very next week on Nitro. Like why why are we why are we why are we even doing this if nobody's gonna sell it? Well, it's dumb to begin with, so I think yeah.
2: that's well I mean it's wrestling. Maybe the power plant has some secret doctors that like they're working on breaking fusing technologies in the medical industry and they can just heal these things. I'm not against that angle. I just wanted them to sell it.
1: <laughs> Backstage, jealous boyfriend the maestro is attacking Buff Bagwell. Security pulls off the maestro and Buff no-sells the beating and challenges the wrestling conductor to a match. Maestro then accepted the challenge as wrestling fans everywhere looked to see how much longer until Raw started. <laughs> Elsewhere, La Parca is reading a newspaper. Medusa runs up and whispers something in his ear. We can't hear what is said, but La Parca agrees with it.
0: What the hell's going on here? Ah, I figured it out, Brian. What's that? i figured it out because now i'm looking at a picture of uh medusa from that particular monday nitro and she's got like her little toboggan on yep and she looks like a female version of parappa the rapper she sure does which (laughs) was was like one of my favorite games back in the day so maybe that's how my brain put two and two together and that's why this uh episode has been so memorable for me and this would
1: have been after parappa (laughs) came out i believe
0: Oh, you, you, we were still playing Parappa in 2000.
1: Oh, no, no. I'm not saying – I'm saying that it was timely. I'm saying this was inspired by. So, I forgot when uh,
2: – that makes a lot of sense actually because I forgot when Medusa came out later in the ma- like later in the night and just said, kick, jump, it's all in the wrist.
1: Um, <laughs> in the arena, there's the briefest glimpse of a poorly choreographed Nitro Girls performance and then we abruptly cut backstage where Mean Gene is talking with Booker. Gene lets us know that Booker will be facing Vito tonight before asking how he's handling all the stress of the past few months. You
0: know, Gene, it's all over, man. No more flames, no more music, no more tea, no more Harlem Heat. And I want to tell you, Big T, I want to tell you some Stevie Ray. You can take all of that and you can stick it because I ain't worried about none of that. And I want to tell you, from this point on, it's over, man. It's all over.
1: In the arena, the Mama Luke's come out with Disco Inferno who grabs a mic to complain about this match. Disco claims that this was supposed to be Booker vs. Be- Vito, but now it has been turned into Disco versus Booker. However, he has a different proposition. Booker comes out, and Disco offers him a handicap match against the Mamelukes for the belts. The Mamaluks are not okay with this, but Booker responds by decking Disco, and the Mamelukes attack Booker. So this is now a handicap match. Is, is this how wrestling booking works? It doesn't matter what the scheduled match was, as long as what the last match that was announced before the bell rang. Is that how this whole thing works <laughs> I think it should be. Like, I, I would be
2: 100% on board with just wrestling being, being like, hey, I know this is the match that was advertised,
1: but I'm going to loudly proclaim this is the new match and just see how it goes. Because <laughs> clearly management booked one match, one of the dudes didn't want to do it, so they're forcing their manager to do it. The manager doesn't want to do the match, so he's now forcing his two clients into it. They don't want to do it, but because Booker hit them in the bell rung, the tag titles are now on the line in a handicap match.
0: Honestly, to, to be honest, though, to be fair to one Disco Inferno, like I think he might have actually had the best booking idea on the whole show, getting the belts off of the Mamelukes
1: <laughs> So the mamelukes do uh, a lot of double-teaming here as the announcers tease that Booker could win the belts all by himself. Booker fights back with some sidekicks and goes to the top rope, but Disco crosses him for a DQ. The Mamalukes and uh, Disco then beat down Booker, but the Harris boys come out again and lay waste to everyone. Again, another completely useless segment that achieved nothing for anybody. Except the... Like five H-bombs that the Harris boys dropped. <laughs> even more H-bombs. More and, H-bombs and what, everywhere. And, and H-bomb, it's not even an impressive-looking double-team move. Brian, did did you know the H stood for Harris? <laughs>
0: I had to put that together. <laughs> so, so my question, though, for this, Brian, is where were they during the Finley-Vampiro match? Were they on break?
2: Nate, I don't know if you've ever been backstage at a wrestling event, but the catering
1: is real tight. <laughs> and uh, we're I not don't, tiny boys. Listen, later... We're going to see the WCW catering table later in this show. and there's Touché, to Maxwell it. man, touché. So, Nate, I know that we've uh, been high on almost any time
0: Booker comes out, but I've got to say, this is probably the first strikeout from uh, our man Huffman. And it's I think it's because he's not involved with his brother. Because even though you've got the silliness of Big T and and uh, J. Biggs, when it's Booker and Stevie, there's actually some chemistry there. But this felt... Yeah, like, I, like I'm I haven't been a fan of the Mama Lukes on on uh, during this run of WCW Nitro and Booker is I think he's in a place, Brian, where he's kind of finding himself like he's not what he will eventually be, uh, you know, but he's st- he's not quite the tag team guy either. So you got those elements coming together to make a bad segment and then you uh, put some horrible icing on top of that with the Harris boys and then it all comes together.
1: Backstage, Mean Gene is shown once again as he interviews Terry Funk and Dustin Rhodes. Gene says that Funk was in a tough fight the night before, but tonight will be even tougher as he and Rhodes face the Harris brothers. So good, we get to see them again. Funk says that it takes a lot to keep an old man down, especially if he's got a good kid fighting by his side. Funk goes... So far as to say that Dustin is ten times tougher than his daddy ever was. This obviously upsets Dustin, who I would say is totally justified in turning on Funk later in the show. <laughs> is this Funk's new gimmick, though, Nate? Just mindlessly alienating everyone that he tries to align
0: himself with? He did it with Flair. He's mm-hmm. doing it with Dustin now. He did it to Arn. This goes back to that Funk-Flair feud where where Terry Funk was... Uh supposed to be the baby face i guess uh but he never came across as a baby face especially when he's beating up rick flair's son who can't wrestle uh and then you got this segment where he's you know insulting the dream and it's like mm, i i really don't like it. like i don't know what was worse this terry funk run or we would come back in uh the wwf a couple years later like terry funk in this era is just a weird weird character
1: well, is that a point where he really should not be a weekly character? No. Like ECW used him perfectly when they brought him in as this legend. They made him their first champion, and they but they they kind of limited it. They they knew where to start and stop. I felt everything Chainsaw Charlie on was just a total misuse of of this guy and a real abuse of his legacy as well.
2: Yeah, as you said, it like it just everything that happens to him is justifiable. Like, yeah, yeah I kind of want you to get really hurt and maimed.
1: That's. <laughs> I look at your face, and I'm like, yes, hit it more. (laughs) Elsewhere, Sid sits alone in a locker room laughing at the television. (laughs) Clearly, he had switched to another channel at this point.
0: Why? Did they ever give us a payoff on these? Because this is not the first time or even the second time, I think, Sid is just in the locker room laughing for no damn reason.
1: Here's the thing. I don't want to talk about Sid's art for the evening until we get to the end of it because (laughs) it makes no sense because I don't know if... Backstage segments were aired out of order. I don't, I mean, I want to wait till we get to the end to piece it all together. I also love that he's still, like, when he's
2: backstage watching TV, he still does not have any equipment. No, no bags, his belt. Well, the his, thing is he weird. is a champion of the company. Like, yeah. every other champion I have ever seen is like, here's my belt. It must be on me at all times. And Sid's just like, I have no idea where it is. Look, well, the other it's- thing that was weird is
1: that <laughs> they clearly, they're trying to say, like, this was his private locker room, but they clearly shot it in just. THE locker room because there are 20 open bags in the back. (laughs) Elsewhere backstage, the hardest working man in WCW, Mean Gene, is back once again with Harlem Heat 2000. Who knew? Now, the point of this segment was to introduce us to the newest member of Harlem Heat, Cassius, who was the former 4x4 in the No Limit Soldiers. However, as is usually the case, Big T muscled his way to the top (laughs) by wearing a pink Sweatsuit, head to toe, neon pink. Nate, this was a bold choice from our man here.
0: (laughs) So, what you're saying is instead of uh, showing love to no limit, he should have been down with the diplomats?
1: I mean, yes, but (laughs) now I will say what makes this even better, uh, as pointed out to me by one of our listeners on Twitter. This wasn't even the first time he had worn this on television. <laughs> this this no limit pink sweatsuit had actually been seen once on WWF programming when he was Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> oh, this dude just loves being comfy on television. Oh,
0: it's so great cuz you know you got uh, Stevie And you got, you know, Cassius. And they kind of of have a unified look, you know? Everyone else is like, we're going to wear black leather jackets, right? Yeah, and then all of a sudden you got Ahmed out here, a big T. Like, (laughs) he reminds me, you know, you talked earlier about uh, Christmas Vacation. But when I saw Ahmed in this outfit, it reminded me of uh, my man Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Yes. With the pink bunny suit. Like, come on, Ahmed. Like, this – every week he finds a way to, uh, if not be – outstanding to at least be memorable so you got to give him credit for that
1: now one of the other big memorable things that happens here is that stevie ray flat out says they're done with booker that's the end of the of the feud apparently they're just done messing with booker and booker looks like has moved on to other things as well so Nate, are you are you satisfied was this a good payoff <laughs> for
0: you uh this was uh this was just I, I my heart sank a little bit uh upon hearing Stevie Ray's promo because yeah there there was so much potential that I think was left on the table if again you know you and I have said this for weeks if they had kept the story streamlined and not added all this other stuff on top of it because the actual story of booker and stevie these two brothers these two former champions that that have beef now and and stevie sees booker as a sellout and booker sees stevie as you know being held back and then not wanting to better himself like there's actually some meat on that bone but instead of uh giving us that that meat they gave us a jug of milk and some powerade and told us to be happy with it
2: I uh I mean with everything I kind of wish more wrestling segments ended with just a group being like we ain't fucking with you no more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like there there was something really poetic about just taking a story that had as you said so much meat left on the bones. Uh and then just being like you know what? Fuck it. Uh <laughs> we done. You, you tough as hell. We ain't going to mess with you no more. Um <laughs> uh, and also, how Let's many, meet up Lash LaRue or something.
1: How many scary black guys are there in Booker T's past? It's every pay-per-view. <laughs> There's a new scary black guy they grew up with. <laughs> and here's the weird thing. So remember when Big T uh, showed up? It was weird because they're telling us, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, this is Ahmed Johnson. Right. But they're also telling us this is a guy that they grew up with together. And now we're being told concurrently that Cassius is someone from their childhood, but also that he used to be in the No Limit Soldiers, <laughs> so they've crossed paths before. I guess they grew up together, but somewhere along the way, Cassius changed his name to Four x Four and started hanging out with uh, Master P.
0: Oh, see that would now that would have been a great way to incorporate Black History Month if every week we got a new. Black superstar from the past, Too Cold Scorpio or or Ron Simmons, and they just show up and it's like, This guy's done some wrestling, but he's from Booker T's past.
1: (laughs) Too Cold Scorpio shows up and it's like, This is the guy who owned the bodega on the corner, but you might have seen him somewhere else. It's Way Chili Spider. Oh my goodness.
2: (laughs) Please know the sadness I'm going to have in my heart when I make Way Chili Spider in 2K17.
1: Because he is going to be the champion by the end of
2: tomorrow. <laughs> Mark
1: my words. Uh, back in the arena, Oklahoma's music plays, and out comes the former uh, Cruiserweight Champion to provide guest commentary oh, for yeah. a Cruiserweight Championship defense from the artist. I don't know how this works. Am I allowed to talk over you during these things? Because I want to
2: groan <laughs> so hard every time you say Oklahoma. Um, well,
1: I'm not saying Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> that would be if he joined Harlem Heat 2. <laughs> That's Oklahoma.
0: He he grew up with Booker T, he was his guidance counselor.
1: <laughs> I, now I want like a series of like dangerous minds vignettes <laughs> between Oklahoma and Booker Don't T. Don't you mean
2: Freedom Riders? <laughs>
1: uh. <laughs> the artist makes his way out as Oklahoma calls himself the greatest cruiserweight champion of all time. Oklahoma says in no uncertain terms that a woman's place is doing exactly what Paisley's doing. So who's getting the title shot against the artist? Leparca, a man who has never qualified as a cruiserweight <laughs> by it, even the most generous definitions the, the, of the word. The thick, thick-ass 280-pound Leparca coming <laughs> out. LaParca, La who I went online and checked, had never even wrestled for the cruiserweight <laughs> championship before. Luckily, though, LaParca has somehow lost 100 pounds and is clearly now just Medusa <laughs> in his suit. Which I loved. Although, and here's the thing, this isn't the first time that WCW did the LaParka switcheroo. They did it with DDP once, uh, but this time they've gone so far as to make it someone who is 100 pounds and a foot smaller than LaParka. So Medusa comes out in a perfectly suited LaParka... <laughs> When did she get this alternative LaParka outfit made?
0: Does she just travel around with it, Nate? Well, I mean, we saw the vignette when she whispered to him, so I'm wondering if LaParka had a seamstress on hand, and then they went to the back and made some alterations, and and that's, you know, in the, in the course of three segments, she was able to get a custom-made chairman of the board outfit.
2: I'm on board with Nate's idea, just because I love the idea
1: that LaParka has a seamstress that travels with him. But the other thing that I thought was so weird was that LaParka... Will show up later in the segment in street clothes. So the well, street well, this was the wait, same a Street
2: outfit? clothes and a sweet ass white duster. I mean yes. Uh, that duster was some only it was crafted by the heavens, Brian. <laughs> that there's no no word that compare to LaParca's duster that evening.
1: Well the finish of this match was a was a duster as well, <laughs> we 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 could say. Boo. <laughs> so uh this faux parka gets in the ring, and Oklahoma instantly suspects something is up.
0: parka seems to have dropped a bit of weight. Well, not, not in every part of his body. He seems to have hit the bench press pretty hard. There's been some about yeah, development. He, he
2: looks
1: like he's got a hell of a bench
0: press. He looks a little bloated up top, if I, if I
1: do say so. The bell rings, and the announcers just can't stop joking about how parka now has boobies. Oklahoma enters the ring and pulls off parka's mask, revealing Medusa and ending her Lucha career. Medusa attacks Oklahoma, and this brings out the real Leparka, who whacks the fake JR with an unprotected chair shot, which will be the only time I'm in favor of one of those. The artist then grabs the chair and lays out the real Leparka. This is followed by a jumping DDT, and the ref comes in and actually counts the (laughs) pin for some fucking reason. We are then shown the Wendy's crispy chicken nugget replay of the week, which was simply just Medusa getting her mask ripped off in slow motion. I really hope Wendy's got their money back for that. (laughs) And there you go, guys. Uh, this was yet another segment on the show that was just total shit. Nothing was achieved here at all. We I, we have been in neutral this entire episode. We have I, not advanced anything at all. I think plenty was achieved. I really wanted a Wendy's chicken sandwich after that segment. <laughs> so, Although, I'll give you credit. This episode, 17 years old, those chicken nuggets are still 99 cents. Yeah. <laughs> However,
2: this is kind of distressing news. I believe in some locations they are removing the spicy nuggets. Oh. Well,
1: okay, let me. S- I've heard that. And yeah. Nate, we're going to bring back uh, one of our old segments, Snack Time, here for, for a little bit. Oh, wait, wait. Did I, did I accidentally cue in an old segment? Back on uh, Review and Impact, we had uh, hashtag snack time where we would talk about fast food. And here's the thing. I have never been a fan of the spicy chicken nuggets. Wow. Uh, I'm a fan of spicy chicken. Because you're a
2: trash human
1: being who does trash things. I think it's because I'm not a trash human being that I don't like. (laughs) Like, Give give me chicken nuggets with a spicy dipping sauce or something. But I I see chicken nugget more as a palate. I don't need uh, any spices infused in it. Hey, listen, sometimes you're on the
2: go and you need something a little bit more than a nugget. You can't open the sauce. Ooh. Spicy nuggets. See, see, yeah. yeah,
0: I have to disagree with you, Brian, man, because I think if you get some hot spicy nuggets and you pair it up with I don't even know if Wendy still has this. But at one time they had an avocado ranch salad dressing oh. and the spicy nugget and the avocado ranch was uh, was was pretty great.
1: That sounds pretty good. I think we can agree the the Nuggets came out of this segment looking pretty good. <laughs> yo yeah. The Nuggets came out of this segment looking like the real champ. So so, so far, the two best things on this episode have been uh, Wendy's Chicken Nuggets and Billy Kidman's camcorder.
2: Oh, and also don't forget uh, Jarrett and the Harris Boys showing up in a Lincoln Town car. In a Lincoln Town car. Because that's still... I,
0: I was going back to that. Glorious. Mm. Now, real real quick though, Brian, yeah. because uh, obviously this wasn't a good segment, but this might've been my favorite segment on the show because I liked how the Medusa stuff kind of paid off. I liked how, uh, you know, we, we had my man, the Parker showing up at the end in street clothes. I, you obviously know I'm a fan of, uh, the artist formerly knows Prince Ikea and we top it all off with, uh, some chicken nuggets. So I thought, uh, all things considered for WCW nitro 2000, <laughs> Not a bad segment.
1: Backstage, Lex Luger is shown flexing while a poorly miked Ric Flair yells.
0: And they get this message at the beginning short they'll never get Hulkamania. We'll never run while again. Look at the package, brother. He's a wreck and he's ready. Tell him, package. Come on, man. Do tell him. Show him, package.
1: We're now ready for another match. This time it is Terry Funk and Dustin Rhodes versus the Harris Brothers. Uh, Dustin and Terry come out first, followed by the Harris brothers, who are accompanied by Jeff Jarrett. Double J goes on commentary and pretty much just continues the exact same promo he was cutting at the beginning of the show, complaining about being screwed over again, but that he has another title shot coming his way.
0: Shivani, just keep your damn mouth shut. Mark Madden, I have been screwed by WCW for the last time. I don't want to say that again. I don't want to reiterate it again. But the WCW has screwed me for the last time.
1: Uh, the Harris brothers spend most of their time working over Funk in the ring until Terry is able to work back, and he places one of the guys in a spinning toe hold submission. But Jarrett gets on the apron with his guitar. This brings out Sid, still no title, just in the same black sweater he arrived in. Sid stalks Jeff, who then gets chased backstage. Sid Vicious, and Sid is chased to Jeff Jarrett. In the ring, Dustin tags in, and DDT's funk out of nowhere. Oh my goodness, Swerve. We could have seen this coming like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Dustin attacks Funk with a chair while Jeff Jarrett speeds away in a car from the arena. He leaves the building. Dustin Rhodes came right in and DDT Terry Funk right into the mat. Meanwhile, out back, you're looking live. Jeff Jarrett to the car. Sinvis is still giving chase. The referee then calls for the bell as Dustin DDTs Terry on a chair. The announcers try to guess why this is happening, but they can't really offer uh, any insight. So again, uh, uh, the basic confines of the match wasn't awful, but they tried to do way too much here, and uh, I, I, you just leave the segment kind of like what what? really realistically the most important thing that happened in the segment was Dustin turning on Terry, but it was buried under a lot of other booking. Yeah, two big takeaways from
2: the match for me, one uh, being the reliability of a Lincoln Town car. Uh, Jared got out of there in a in a hurry, mm-hmm. started right up, left the arena. Do you think they left the keys in the car? Or do you think Jeff kept them on him? Hopefully he kept them on him. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> without joking, though, I think the most insane thing where I was just – I was very confused as to being like, okay, this is the end of the match, mm-hmm. was Rhodes attacked Funk and then like after attacking him for a minute, just got – like they got DQ'd. Yeah. So who wins that – like who won that match?
1: I Terry Funk? Uh, just but his off. own
2: teammate attacked him with a chair. That, and, yeah, that's a good question. And Rhodes was the legal guy, mm-hmm. so I'm very like, oh, so I don't know. I hated that ending. Mm. That match's ending was very confusing. I was against it. <laughs> Nate, you're with me on the Nuggets. How do you feel about the ending?
0: Yeah, I, I didn't. Well, not just the ending. The the match wasn't that much to write home about either. And I think again, they're trying to draw sympathy for Terry Funk, who at least from what we've seen in this episode. Has is an unsympathetic character so like when Dustin is just an old racist creepy guy who needs to get his ass <laughs> you know, when kicked. Dustin DDT'd him I was actually like yeah that, that, that should have happened yeah so
2: but like a quarter of the, yeah a quarter of the match was very definitely Jarrett just standing on an apron
1: or moving around the ring and Funk just awkwardly looking at him but not doing anything <laughs> so it is now time for another fucking Gene interview this time with <laughs> Buff Bagwell Buff says he'll show the maestro just how rough he can get Elsewhere, sexually. <laughs> Funk's being loaded into an ambulance, but Dustin starts beating on him again. Dustin then runs off with the ambulance.
0: Dustin, it's getting in the ambulance! <laughs> oh man, you better call a faith healer or an acupuncturist. We're in a basketball arena. Why not call Dr. J? That was tremendous! That was tremendous! That's the first
1: time I've ever seen that, and more guys should do it. Yeah. Like, not only beat the shit out of the dude, but then also make sure he cannot not receive medical treatment. I... So the big thing, and I've always wanted
2: this, it's another trope where I'm like, I wish there was some callback, Mm -hmm. is just I want one week someone to take an ambulance and the next week the police show up and they're just like, why are you here? And it's like, you stole an ambulance. You can't steal an ambulance. You cannot steal government (laughs) property. You are going to jail for at least a night. I hope WCW has good lawyers. Uh Yeah, like, the, it's, I mean, not to cue into current-day WWE, but there was a good, like, five-month run where every week Dean Ambrose would steal another person's property, <laughs> <laughs> and then seemingly no one cared. They're just like, oh, you take cop cars and ambulances and hot dog carts, and I guess it's fine. <laughs> like, no one was using them. I guess no harm, no foul. But, yeah, I really love Dustin stealing the ambulance.
1: That it was, was a nice was, touch. That was, was quality. Nice in the ring... I'm going to give you one guess. Who do you think was standing in the ring at this point?
0: I <laughs> know huh, mm, it's not Medusa because she's already done her part tonight. Uh, Park is. It was the Lincoln Town car, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: The Lincoln Town car.
0: So what, Jared what, had driven it. Was it, 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 uh, it McCani?
1: It was Mean <laughs> Fucking Gene, <laughs> mid ring. <laughs> and he calls out the world champion, Sid. Now you can tell that Sid is taking this segment seriously because he comes out he's taken the shirt off he's put on a leather vest he's wet his hair and he's now wearing the title he's actually in work mode he at found this his point. gear I guess I guess casual Sid was yeah. what was going on before now he's actually working um this was a Sid promo I don't know what you could say um, of You also all the- kn- you knew Sid was coming out because the lights turned a deep
2: purple for yep. no apparent reason and
1: what I thought was so weird was that earlier in the show uh, Tony kept promoting that they were going to have an exclusive interview with Sid. Like, exclusive from who? Like, was he going to show up on Raw and talk about his title defense at Super Brawl? Like, (laughs) clearly this is the only fucking place this interview is going to happen.
0: Brian, you are sorely... Uh, misinterpreting the popularity of Sid in 2000 because, you know, it wasn't exclusive because I believe ESPN was trying to get a hold of him at that time. Fox News uh, wanted Sid Vicious. So for him to actually come on Nitro and give us this exclusive content, I think, uh, you know, you're selling the big man short.
1: You think backstage Kevin Sullivan gets off the phone? Guys, we locked him down. (laughs) We got Sid He's going to do an interview. He's on his way here now with a limo. He doesn't have his gear or any bags with him at all, but he's going to
0: be here. It came down to to Mean Gene or Ashley Banfield.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean given
2: to how many times he has been shown that night, I assumed they are just trying to get Mean Gene over and he was going to have a heel turn (laughs) and just pop Vicious and uh, set up uh, for uh,
1: Uncensored. I would much rather see (laughs) – a mean jean Sid Vicious mean,
2: match. Mean Gene Vicious and Uncensored Then for the a title. Jeff Jarrett
1: Sid Vicious oh, match. Oh, that would have been great. And a
2: Yappa Pie Indian strat match. Oh, the right. one of two on the evening. <laughs> Every match at Uncensored is a Yappa
1: Pie Indian strat match.
0: Oh, that would have been great.
1: <laughs> we then go backstage where Kidman and Booker are attempting to get revenge on the Harris brothers attacking them, but security separates them. It, it was uh if this was supposed to be our baby getting their uh uh their heat back, uh great. We saw it for like fifteen seconds. <laughs> At this point, we go to, who do we think? Um, I,
2: oh, God. The, let me pull up my notes. I need to research what was happening. It's Mean right Gene, James. It's always Mean Gene. Oh, is mean it Gene. Mean Gene? It's Mean Gene again. <laughs> oh, it's again. Mean Gene
1: again. Who the fuck would have Back-to-back back Mean Gene segments. Okay. Mean Gene is now interviewing Ric Flair. Flair praises Dustin for turning on Funk and says that Luger will put an end to Hogan tonight.
0: Hulkamania, woo! Well never run wild again! I saw you kissing the SVG! done for! Hogan, you're done! Woo! Get a package. Woo!
1: Now time for yet another match. Buff Bagwell going against the maestro. Buff goes after the maestro, but the music man hits an atomic drop before taking an elbow from Buff. Buff then goes to the floor and flirts with Symphony. The maestro charges Buff on the outside, but Buff sidesteps, and the maestro just knocks Symphony the fuck out by slamming her into the ring steps. Apparently, Buff's the babyface in all of this still.
0: Oh my god! The maestro went to go after Buff, went to run him over, ran over Symphony instead. Just when Symphony was about to say yes to Buff, I believe, too.
1: Back in the ring, the maestro is getting way too much offense against the guy who made have into the show a couple weeks ago. Then the cat's music plays, and out comes Ernest Miller wearing James Brown's cape. This distracts the maestro and lets Buff hit a blockbuster for the quick pin. The cat then gets the mic and tells the maestro that he has to pay up on the bet he lost to the cat the night before for doubting that James Brown would show up on pay-per-view. So the cat reveals this new pop track that the maestro must now use. This causes the classical music fan to snap and attack the referee. Now, Nate, you said you watched Super Brawl. I did not. Was this actually the wager they had? Was this how fucking weak the wager was (laughs) that if James Brown actually showed up unadvertised and the maestro had to
0: change his theme song? I forgot the wager part of it. But, yeah, I do remember that. That was the big thing. Everybody was doubting Ernest Miller, that he could actually produce the Godfather of Souls. And I'm sure people were
1: doubting WCW would produce him unadvertised. (laughs) They did. They sure did.
2: This match had a lot of cues for me, where I just had no, no idea. Like as you said, Buff Bagwell's the face, mm-hmm. and like it seems like Buff Bagwell's entire mo is I'm going to fuck this guy's girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, he's super angry about it. it just the mentality of being like, well, I mean, obviously, I want to fuck your girlfriend. Duh. And the, the why are and you? Why man. are you? You heel. You bad guy for it- not. For believing in exclusivity,
1: <laughs> this girl won't have sex with the with the good guy. She deserves to be thrown into these steel steps. <laughs> exactly, and I,
2: then Ernest the Cat Miller comes out, and then Buff hits a blockbuster that they don't show on TV. Uh, yep. They 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 keep it on Ernest the Cat Miller
1: mm-hmm. talking
2: about James Brown's cave <gasps> and that horrible music, and then the maestro freaking out on the ref. That bit lasted a good. Three, four minutes. It was a while. Like
1: uh uh they took a beating. They took a Dang. beating from the maestro. I got a lot of chops from the maestro. I was
0: say the one the one credit I will give to this segment is uh the maestro. Like he's not great, but at least he commits. Like he's not he's yeah. not half stepping. Mm-hmm. The maestro was giving hundred and fifty percent on everything he does. Outside
1: Sid Vicious, and this is the final time we see Sid Vicious, so we can now pick apart his his <laughs> art for the evening. Sid Vicious, who has now changed back into the black V-neck sweater that he had before and does not have his bags or championship belt, gets into his limo and drives off, presumably to chase Jeff Jarrett.
0: Wait a minute, Sid Vicious
1: now getting in the limousine and taking off out of here. This mid-ring interview is what throws off everything for the character for the night. So if, if it had just been he showed up at the arena chased Jared out of the building and then followed him. This kind of makes sense. But then we have to have this mid ring interview segment where he changes and then changes back after to and, and by this point Jeff Jarrett already has what, a good 15, 20 minute head yeah. start on the road? Well he either showers and changes or changes and showers. Well I think also his the hair clothes was dry. were really wet too. His hair was back to being dry. Yeah, I
0: think <laughs> I Oh, man. Like, so we, we start with Sid coming in looking unprepared. Then we get the hyena laugh. Uh, then we get the exclusive interview. Uh, and then we get this. And so I'm like, hmm. A, I'm thinking, did Sid get paid by appearance? Uh, or was he paid for the night? Because that may have factored into this. If Sid wanted some more money uh, for his softball tournaments, he had to show up more times. Uh, but the other thing is, again, one problem that we've seen with this show is the lack of likable baby faces or credible baby faces or intelligent baby faces? And, and that, I think Sid uh, does not fall in any of those categories.
1: No, I think probably the most likable person we've seen all night is maybe. It's still gotta be Booker, right? Yeah. Oh, Booker's still the most likely hand, person. Hands down, walking out of the show,
2: Booker was the only person. I was like, he's an established face. That's it.
1: <laughs> Him or or uh, uh, had Ved Puro not made to been look like an idiot yeah. right after his match? <laughs> maybe we think it's some Nitro girls dancing in some cages, and DJ Rand hypes the crowd.
0: And the Nitro girls, along with DJ Rand lighting up the night here.
1: We now have another unmotivated match. A lot of matches that you cannot care about tonight. That's the big holdover from the three-hour episode. This is The Wall versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, Things start with uh, some brawling around the ring. Uh, They're throwing each other into guardrails, plenty of stiff shots on each other. Neither guy is selling. Bam Bam, at this point in his career, is not caring, and The Wall has never understood psychology. So no one's selling body parts. Just, oh, your turn to be on offense, my turn to be on offense. Uh, Bam Bam hits a DDT and goes to the top rope. He hits a flying headbutt, but it's only good enough for a two. Bam Bam follows up with a belly to back suplex, but it's only good enough for a two. Bam Bam then goes to the second rope at the wall, lunges to his feet, catches him with a choke slam for the win. I hate to say it, guys, but this was probably the best match on the whole show. <laughs> I hated it. It wasn't a good match. There was no psychology, but at least it was fought fairly, and a dude won. Ugh, and I don't even. I don't want to give the wall versus Bam Bam Bigelow
2: props. Yeah, you understand the corner that you're backing me into. But we're grading on a curve. You kind of have to, right? <sighs> I know.
0: Like, when was it, Brian? I want to say it was about three or four episodes ago where the walls seemed to be getting this big push. And then I think the week after that, they kind of subverted or aborted it all And now it feels like they're back on the wall. I'm, I'm not – I was never a huge fan of this guy even back in 2000. Uh, but – I am for them trying to get some younger guys over. I just don't know if this was uh this I mean it's and it's Bam Bam Bigelow, who I love Bam Bam Bigelow, but by this time he wasn't, you know, prime peak, Lawrence Taylor fighting, Major Payne co starring Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh so yeah, this this whole segment just kinda kinda made me sad. So Nate, what you're
1: saying is when it comes to the wall, you're on the fence.
0: Oh, see that could have been another gimmick. He could have had a partner. Yeah, the wall, the fence, <laughs> yeah. uh, the barrier.
1: He should have had a had like a, a mini who was dressed like a Humpty Dumpty that looks like just sat on his shoulders <laughs> <laughs> during his entrance.
2: Vern Troyer, just in just in an egg costume. Vern Troyer
1: was too hot at this point. They were getting Vern Troyer. Vern Troyer, I think, was showing up on WWF though. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Like a year later yeah. to promote five uh, Shagman.
0: So you say Vern Troyer? Um, theoretically, Vern Troyer could have been a future WCW heavyweight champion.
1: Well, at least
2: cruiserweight, because he
1: could have dressed up as Laporta, Mitty
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> We go backstage where Hulk Hogan is shown preparing for his match with Luger. How is he preparing? Is he exercising? Is he shouting? Oh boxing? no, no, damn, he is not. No, nope. he is slamming his fucking broken arm <laughs> into a fence while yelling Luger's name over and over again. Luger,
0: the steel cage Luger. will be dropped.
1: Luger, Hulk Hogan and the Total Luger.
0: Package. It's Luger. all coming up Luger. on Monday Night tour. Luger.
2: Luger! 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 Like, okay, yeah, he's slamming it into a chain link fence, screaming Luger. I guess if you want to get psyched up, you can do it. And then they, like, segued into another thing, but they kept that audio going in the background. Yes. So, like, you couldn't see Hogan. You couldn't see anything. It was just, like, the Monday Night Nitro logo and Shavoni explaining something. But in the background, all you heard was Luger! 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 Luger. <laughs> and I. Uh, I was I was watching it alone dying being like who who allowed this?
1: Who allowed this to be recorded? <laughs> and Nate, were you how how upset were you to see that this this R-breaking angle already being so trivialized?
0: Uh, again, you know when we were talking about it earlier, and it's like why even do it if guys aren't going to sell it? You know, and I understand Hogan's, you know, got the training, the prayers, the vitamins, uh, you know, he's a very powerful human being, uh, so he can he can recover quickly from uh, such injuries, but even like if if you got a guy like Brian Nobbs who is shown to be able to bounce back from this in a week, it's it's not even worth doing. And and so I think that yeah, the the whole thing with Hogan just again, I'm I'm not a not a fan of Terry Bollea. And then seeing him uh getting his uh getting his Hulk of Mania going uh, in the back with the cast, it was uh, a a little too much for me. I, I was longing. For the days of Wendy's Chicken Nuggets and Medusa dressed up like La Parker.
1: Although I realize what's actually kind of heartbreaking, uh, we have all these guys coming out with these casts on. None of them have theirs signed. Now, Not a single one of these guys <laughs> knows someone they love enough <laughs> to like write a message on their cast. Well, it's because it was put on five minutes before the show. <laughs> uh, that
0: would have been a great Easter egg if you look at uh, Hogan's cast and it's like Bubba and Heather and all his best friends signing it. Elsewhere backstage, Ric Flair is yelling at Arn
1: Anderson and David Flair for not following his orders and taking out Hulk. This was never paid off, so I have no idea why it was shown to us. Uh, in the arena, we see that the cage is being lowered around the ring. We then go backstage, where one final time, Mean Gene is seen once again talking to a co-worker. He is interviewing Hulk Hogan, who is just straight up slamming his broken arm with his other hand. Hulk Hogan says that all the Hulksters in attendance tonight saw Super Brawl, which was probably news to those in the Arco arena, who I doubt very seriously spent any money for that show on pay-per-view. He essentially says uh, he's going to win, and he does the Hulk Hulk Hogan thing.
0: Oh yeah, brother. When I blasted you between the brows with a cast, it made my arm feel real good, brother.
1: We teased it earlier. At this point, we then go to the WCW catering table. And what is the WCW (laughs) catering table? Quite the metaphor for the company at this time. It is literally just an open trash bag full of popcorn (laughs) on a folding table next to some water. I'm not even kidding. This water was sitting in a pile of ice, not a bucket of ice, not a tray of ice. A pile of ice sitting on this folding table with a couple of bottles of water sitting at it.
2: Greatest catering table of all time. Just well, a, a trough of popcorn and a and loose ice with water not,
1: bottles. Waste not, want not, the mouth of the south, Jimmy Hart walks up and loads up a plate with stale Jiffy Pop. Also, who puts popcorn on a plate? I have a worse way to eat popcorn than off a plate. I appreciate you think someone took the
2: time to Jiffy Pop. Like, Jiffy oh. Pop. Is too high quality. This is very definitely popcorn that they popped at the Arco Arena probably a month prior. I think they
1: popped this at the Cow Palace the night before.
2: <laughs> and, and Jimmy fucking brought it in his And Nobbs his loaded car. up
1: in his truck, because you know Brian Nobs has a truck. <laughs> so uh, uh, Flair and Lexon walk by and they spot Hart and they beat the shit out of him. Team Package then drags Hart out, out to the arena.
0: Jimmy Hart is defenseless. You know why? Because they can't outplay him. He's Hogan's friend. He's the enemy. I like it.
1: So in the aisle way, Flair and Luger whip Hart to hardly any reaction as we go to break. Back from break, Hogan has decided to wait an entire commercial break before saving his friend from this two-on-one attack. He's too busy smashing his arm into a fence. <laughs> uh Luger and Hogan brawl around the ring before finally making the way into the ring as security removes Rick from ringside. The bell rings and the match officially starts, which means it is time for the Hogan Bump Challenge. Mm. Now, this was introduced last week by our guest, Chris, and this is pretty much where we wager how many bumps do we think Hulk Hogan took during this match? Now this is a cage match. There's a lot of ways to work around it. And as we saw last week, Hogan is not in much of a bumping mood. So letting our guests go first, James, how many bumps do you think Hogan took in this match? Oh, my God. I wish I had been paying attention for it. Last week it was three. Last week his it was big three. big comeback with Flair. And that match was longer than this. I am looking at it. I
2: want to... You know what? I'm going to be bold and say two. You're going to say two. I'm going to say – I want to say three, mm-hmm. but I feel like th- like three might be a popular answer or it might be too high. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say two.
0: See, last time I made the mistake of giving Hogan credit for actually being a professional wrestler uh, and, and doing his job. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to go low. I want to say zero, but I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'll say one. Ooh.
1: Now I for me I I actually we, we this worked out pretty well. I went with three before the match started because uh, I know that sometimes with Luger because Luger's a big guy. Sometimes you got to judge it based on the size of the opponent. I thought Luger was maybe a guy that he would do some offense because that's the the thing. I'm thinking, unlike Flair, uh, Luger can't bump either. Now, so someone's got to take some offense. <laughs> no, they don't. So you, you are giving them far too much credit by saying. Someone has to. If by history has taught us anything, no, they don't. (laughs) So we're in the ring now for our last man standing cage match. Uh, Sure. And Hogan is just already on his back. So unfortunately, can't have a bump there. He just rolled in on on his back. Yeah. Luger uh, rips off his tracksuit and attempts to toss it over the top of the cage, but it gets stuck on the top and his pants just literally hang there the entire match, guys. (laughs) So... Hogan then tears off his shirt, and he chokes Lex with it. Hogan slams Lex into the turnbuckle ten times. Luger then slams Hogan's head into the cage for the first bump. Oh, so we one. He then hits a top rope boot to Hulk, and Hulk takes a second bump. We're at two. Stay there. Already <laughs> Iron Man compared to last week.
2: We're, we're at two. Nate's out. I'm in my golden zone. I want Hulk to just Hulk
1: up from here and win this thing. Luger then grabs Hulk, runs him into the cage, and he bumps again. Oh. Three bumps in a <laughs> row. Oh, my goodness. Not just that, Luger, showing he has his working boots on, suplexes Hogan for a fourth bump in a row. Oh, my wow. God, guys. Lex then racks Hogan, but Hulkster holds up, and he does all the greatest hits. He does the leg drop. He does the boot. He does it all. Flair then uh, makes his way back out, climbs the cage, and he's now in the ring. And he starts chopping Hulkster. Hogan, though, no-sells, and he body slams Flair. Luger, though, somehow gets a chair. I don't know how a chair got into the ring. This is a cage match. And Luger whacks him in the back with the chair. However, he stumbles forward. No bump is taken. Doug Dillinger has come out with security, and he is now in the ring. And Lex Luger just breaks his arm, too. So now we've got Flair and Lex are beating down Hogan, and we fade to Black.
0: He's got the belt. We're out of time on Nitro. Yeah, Look yeah. we see you Thunder Wednesday night.
1: Yeah. That's it. That's the end of the match. <laughs> we established that you could win by leaving the cage, but Hogan, I guess, didn't even want to take an L that way, so we just fade out. Yep, a last man standing cage match. What, <laughs> what do we think happened here? Do we think that they, like, he didn't even – he wouldn't even leave the ring because the live crowd had to see them leave the <laughs> ring. The live crowd had to see Lex Luger win this match. Uh, well, I mean you're giving them credit. I assume the Arco Arena lost power and then no one could see anything. <laughs> maybe, the, maybe once the show went off the air, Hulkster just hulked back up and he he he, uh, he miraculously healed Doug Dillinger's broken arm now, I, and the two walked out together. See,
0: I thought this was an artistic choice, uh, a la the ending of The Sopranos uh that that you know it's it's left it's left ambiguous so you know much like life we don't get clean neat answers all the time and and that's where we were left at this at the end of this episode of nitro so yes there we go uh
1: we essentially end with uh it isn't even a last man standing if anything uh it's the last man laying as i think hogan is with every hogan segment is who we're supposed to go out uh caring about but yeah a really awful uh main event a really awful ending uh Hopefully, this is the blow-off to this. Uh, but the elephant in the room, or should I say the crow in the room, where the fuck
0: was Sting? He returned last night. Where is he? I was. I thought that the minute this show came on. Well, there are a couple of things. You figure not only did you have the return of Sting the night before, but you also had James Brown. And I thought they didn't really do a whole lot to play up either of those two seemingly events on this show. Instead, we had to... Spend time with the Harris boys giving H bombs to everybody. Yeah, I mean, like three,
1: I mean, Sting, uh, James Brown, Piper. Yeah, there was, there was, it, it, again, this is something we've seen multiple times where you kind of have to ask yourself, why was this the way that these guys were being used? Even to the point that we have this brand new Harlem Heat faction, and all we're going to have them do is cut this one promo backstage. I mean, it was a great promo due to Ahmed Johnson. True. Let's give it. (laughs) But I just felt bad for that Sacramento crowd not being able to see that suit up close and personal. Oh, yeah. But not just that. I mean, uh, you had Tank Abbott, you know, winning that Skins match the night before. No follow-up on that. (laughs) We were afraid of this a couple episodes ago. We are really hitting, I think... The most boring of WCW 2000. Kevin Sullivan is booking and Hulk Hogan is definitely using his creative control
0: card. Yeah, this was not a good show. And and granted, that's uh, a bit subjective and or redundant, given what we've watched already from 2000. Uh, But I I was not really excited or invested in the show. Granted, the Hogan bump game did add an element of uh, excitement to the main event. Uh, But...
1: It instantly does. I think it should just be a, an actual stipulation of every Hogan. Yeah,
0: it, just place your bets online, and, and whoever wins gets a prize or something. <laughs> um, they get they get a, to tape a video with Hulk Hogan. Um, Hulk Hogan will
2: scream your name while banging his broken arm into a chair. <laughs> <place. laughs> Nate, Nate.
0: But only if you're six feet tall, though. He he does have a height requirement. Um, <laughs> but I I thought this was again just a a bad show that. You know, we should have had some sort of momentum coming off of this pay-per-view, and and it felt like, yeah, this is another Monday night, and we've got two hours to fill, and these are the players, and these are the parts they're going to play, so stick around if you want. If not, you know, we don't care. We'll be back here next week.
1: In a weird way, it's almost as if the pay-per-view didn't happen. Like, we didn't really even follow up on anything. A lot of the feuds that happened were just uh, dropped. Uh, The the feuds were either dropped or acted as though what happened the night before didn't exist. Uh Really, the only few that's continuing is Sid and Jarrett, and even that there's like there's no real follow up. It, it just literally, if, if we had reviewed last week's show and then you watched this week's show and you didn't know a pay per view happened, I I think you you you'd be hard pressed to actually know there was a pay per view the night before, other than just the replays they showed us, because there was nothing in the booking to suggest there was a new turn to nothing. Yeah, I there's not much to say about the entire, just cause the entire
2: episode, I, again, going back to what I said, at the beginning of the entire show is just, it felt like three hours. Mm-hmm. Like until you mentioned that it was only two, I just thought I watched a three hour event. Time was kind of lost in this weird vacuum of space mm-hmm. where I turned on WCW and it was like, Oh, I guess it's done now. <laughs> I, I've consumed this product. Mm-hmm. It existed. Um, it's hard to say more than that. Like, it's I wanted it to be a lot more. And it's weird because you know they have the capacity to do it. Like, we have brought up there are, like, characters there that are actually enjoyable and watchable. And I was like, no, we got, you know, Booker T in a two-on-one match against the Mama Lukes because,
1: you know, they're there. Right. And it, then that goes nowhere. Yeah, it, um, zero. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, all around, sounds like we're giving an overall... Thumbs down to this show. But one thing we do have to do, we do have to give a thumbs up to one thing. We This is time for our Silver Lining segment where we have to shout out one thing that we unabashedly would call a positive. And, and James, what would be your Silver Lining of this um,
2: episode? Silver Lining uh, slash what I'm going to name my Lincoln Town Car moment of the week. Because um, I'm really pushing for the Lincoln sponsorship <laughs> here for you boys. Um, I, to me, I had a good hearty laugh when I uh, – Dustin uh, stole the ambulance. Mm. That <laughs> yeah. that for me was like it, – it's either that – can I give a tie? Is a tie allowed? Yeah, you know, you, uh, Nate and I usually can't have ties, but for you – I'll flip a coin if I have to because I'll let you know what it's boiling down to for yeah. me. It's either the ambulance steal or uh, LaParka's duster <laughs> because that white duster. You know what? fuck it, No, it's going to Laparka's duster. Like you rewatch that episode and you see it, you're like, "This entire episode sucks." Laparka's duster on point.
1: It was like uh, it was like Ivanka's dress that night at the RNC. Like, like this whole event is terrible. Yeah, but go online and buy this this one piece of clothing right now. One hundred percent. If if WCW had branded that, I would have bought it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Laparka's white duster in. It's better than the fucking uh, official Finn Balor leather jacket they're selling now. Oh.
2: Uh, and Nate, trash things
1: that WWE sells. And Nate, what about you? What, what what are you giving a shout out to?
0: Oh, no question. It has to be uh Medusa. Medusa was the highlight of the show for me for a couple of reasons. A, uh, we had the segment where she destroyed the whiteboard, which again, for some reason was ingrained in my memory. We get uh her partnership with LaParca. Like the I love the fact that they're backstage concocting this caper. Uh, to to thwart Oklahoma, and then you know you get the uh, the actual segment which was sponsored by Wendy. So uh, Medusa and to a lesser extent La Parker were my uh, highlights for this episode.
1: Yeah, and I guess that leaves me. And it was a uh, it's tough because part of me kind of wants to say the wall <laughs> just because like it, it, it achieved something, <laughs> but uh, but we all know what it's going to be. It's it's got to be Big T's pink jumpsuit. <laughs> I mean, like no like no limits. Yeah. no limits on this guy. How? That that yeah,
2: you know. Now bringing that up, that's am yeah. Still sticking with Laparca. i How telling still.
0: you just, that all of our highlights, whether it's Leparka's duster, Medusa dressed as Laparca, or dressed as Parappa the Rapper, or Big T dressed in the pink outfit, like the most positive things about this show are the ensembles.
2: And now saying it, I really want to see uh, the No Limits pink jumpsuit with the white duster. <laughs> Like that combo is nothing but fire. <laughs> Actually, you can
1: include the red beanie, the th- the th red beanie too. In a way, you're almost describing uh, what uh, Sean wore at uh, WrestleMania 25. <laughs> yeah, Remember yes, he came out and he was supposed to be like uh, like the fucking Jesus uh, version of the
2: Undertaker. <laughs> 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 Ugh. Cringe entrances. <laughs> hey, this is gonna be one of the best wrestling matches you ever see. However,
1: religion—that's <laughs> the weirdest thing about that storyline. Was they really tried to graft a lot? Yeah. Has there been? Has there ever been a wrestler who is more religious while also uh, doing more blasphemous wrestling ah. angles than Shawn Michaels? Uh, Gavin Stone, because
2: they had that whole resurrection an- angle. <laughs> uh, so, remember that resurrection of Gavin Stone
1: angle? Uh, was it an angle? Or it was just a film. <laughs> Just a film. Just a really sad film. Oh. <laughs> so, James, I want to I want to thank you for stopping by here. And even though your time with us is, is over, Nate and I still have to continue down this road. So having spent what you thought was three hours but was actually 90 minutes watching an episode of uh, Nitro, <laughs> what advice do you have for us as we continue down this road? What, stop. What, <laughs> okay. We, unfortunately, we're not allowed to stop. We have to continue.
2: Um, I don't know. Uh. Find your favorite liquor. Enjoy it. Watch this at night. <laughs> um, I don't know. Watching it during – I think the big the big issue for me is the same problem I have watching movies during the day mm-hmm. or like going into a movie theater is once I was – if I say I go to see a movie at noon or something. Yeah. I got nothing to do on a Saturday. I go watch a movie. I leave the movie theater and it's still daylight and it's that weird like, well, what do I do now feeling? Yeah. <laughs> it was that. I, I stopped Nitro and I was like – Fuck, it's noon.
1: Yeah. Um, this is a great way to start my day.
2: Yeah, and it really just – it threw a lot of things off. I don't – I guess watch it at night. That's the thing. That you like get to go to bed disappointed, but I mean <laughs> it's life in 2017,
1: you know. <laughs> well, we, we It's appreciate- how things are. Well, we appreciate that, uh, James, and mentioned your handle off the top, but – with all your work uh, on Twitter and also with Pro Wrestling Sheet, let people know where they can find you if they'd like to continue having your voice being a part of their, their life. Uh, just at Chill Hartman
2: everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just easily searchable Pro Wrestling Sheet. Me and Ryan doing some great work. ProWrestlingSheet.com. Uh, go there. Yeah, there's really there's not a lot.
1: James, thank you once again uh, for thank stopping you for, by.
2: Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Nate, as well. I hope I didn't talk over too many things. <laughs> I, I, I get very passionate about these
1: things. I yell a lot. And even though we did uh, appreciate your advice to us uh, to stop watching these, unfortunately, we will not be able to do that. And Nate and I, you and I will continue uh, down this road. We will be back with another episode where we will be reviewing the February 28th episode. And Nate, I'm not teasing you here. I mean it, honest to goodness, not a MasterCard commercial, not some props guy in a wig sting is back on the next episode
0: don't toy with my emotions brian man
1: i'm not 100 percent. he shows up he doesn't do fuck all <laughs> but he is at
0: least <laughs> he's, actually on the he's show. present okay well I, we got that to look forward to you know there's always a a glimmer of hope in the darkness uh well yeah again shout out uh to brother james for joining us here up here on the satellite of hate uh now we'll let him go back to his free life where he can uh make what is it ice chili spider the world champion on 2k17 well, wait what was that was that two chi-
2: no not two chili spiders it way, chi- way, way, chili chili spider. Spider. <laughs> way chili spider way chili spider oh god available for download tomorrow i guess on xbox <laughs> hashtag sad uh because they search everything by uh
1: hashtags but yeah have me back on whenever i'd love to review greed uh well, we haven't made the decision about 2001 just yet. Yeah. We've got to get through 2000 uh, to begin with. Uh, and if you obviously keep up with all the episodes, subscribe to uh, Live Audio Wrestling on Stitcher, iTunes, everywhere you get all your, your podcasts. Also, if you're new to the show and you want to get caught up, remember you can always go to the Live Audio Wrestling Pro Boards. That's lawradio.proboards.com, and there is a thread of all of our episodes. So you can you know sort of binge those things. Uh, that's kind of how Nate and I envision the show, that you can – Go back and let's do it at any point you want and listen at your own pace. So here we are at the end of another journey, another episode of Nitro. And now Nate and I can thankfully pause, slow things down, calm, remove WCW a little bit. But we will be back before you even know it with another episode. But until then, Nate, what words of wisdom are we leaving the people with?
0: Yes. Thanks, everybody, for downloading the show and checking us out. And one of the themes I'm seeing pop up as we do more and more of these night shows, brother man, is even though these shows are terrible, there is some comfort in seeing old friends. And this week for me, it was, uh, you know, reconnecting with Medusa. And so I'm going to leave everybody with these words as, uh, you know, you go on to your week, and and maybe you can reconnect with some old friends from your past. Leave you with the words of Mariah Carey and I guess Joe and 98 Degrees. See, I was so desolate before you came to me. I was looking back, and I guess it shows that we were destined to shine over the rain, to appreciate the gift of what we have. And I'd go through it all over again just to be able to feel this way. Oh, thank God I found you. Keep It
1: 2000 is a live audio wrestling production. Executive produced by John Pollock and edited by Brian Mann. Theme song by Chris Urbanovich. For more shows, check out liveaudiowrestling.com or subscribe on iTunes.
0: That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. this.